I really didn't want to be doing it alone. Um, I was open to what other, who else might be around to support it, but I felt like really parenting where it's just you and the kid, that's very tough. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Now he's got dead cops, dead robbers, dead civilians. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Are you thinking about sex? And need to talk about more. Whenever you're quiet, you usually think about sex. I'm Anna Sale. In one way, Lucy Sexton's story is not so unusual. Life whizzes past. A woman is 30, then in her mid-30s, and then in her late 30s. And then, if kids are going to happen, it's really time. There are limits, though, to what you can control. I was married when I was, you know, I don't know, 27. And then in my mid-30s, I was like, okay, so let's have a kid. And then he didn't really want to. And then in my late 30s, that marriage broke up. And I was really like, you know, (laughs) I really wanted a family. I really wanted a kid. And now I'm in my late 30s and uh, without a partner um, and a way to have a, a child. But what Lucy did have was a willingness to break the rules. She's a performance artist and a dancer. What do you want? In the 1980s, she was a fixture on the downtown New York scene. These are real women, not chicks with dicks. <laughs> As part of a duo called Dance Noise, she performed in black box theaters and nightclubs. This is a show in the mid-80s at the Pyramid, a center of club, dance, and art culture in New York's East Village. Internationally renowned performance artist. Let's give a big Pyramid welcome to Dance Noise! Lucy and her dance partner take the stage dressed as gift-wrapped packages, which they tear through in short order. And by the end of the five-minute act, they're down to bras on top and fur chaps on the bottom. Snowman in the yard... In the 1980s, the downtown New York scene was this mix of punk rockers and drag queens, filmmakers and painters, all making art together and hanging out in the same places. The Pyramid was where the Red Hot Chili Peppers and RuPaul played their first New York shows. Madonna and Andy Warhol co-hosted an AIDS fundraiser there in the early days of the epidemic. Lucy's art picked up on all of these influences. Her performances are political, irreverent, sometimes absurd, and often involve getting naked on stage, sometimes even rubbing brown paint on her body that looks like... Shit! So, yes, Lucy Sexton's art is not afraid to flout conventions. She brought the same attitude to becoming a mom, She's upended traditional family structures. But in the process, she's become a parent that's raising her family in a lot of the same ways that her Irish Catholic parents raised her. It all began when her friend Stephen agreed to help. Stephen uh, was a very close friend of mine for many, many years. And it started as a real desire of mine to have a kid and, um, and him coming along on that and helping me. Stephen is Stephen Daltrey, a British director, famous for movies like Billy Elliot and The Hours. He's also gay. So there was that. And then... It was hard to get pregnant. So 
we it took us you know three years from when we first said okay we're going to have a baby um, to actually having a baby, including you know lots of medical help and all those other things too, and you know you just your own psychic journey of how much am I going to push this and can my body do it and should we do it and you know so you really the upside of having to really work at it is that you're really asking yourself is this really what I want how much is it worth you know how much do I want to push it and for me the answer was just I know it's really what I want it may not be able to physically happen for me because I'm older but I want to know that I gave it my best shot. I really put all my attention there. I didn't just drift into my 40s and sort of go, oh, well, I guess that didn't happen and always be sort of what if about it. So you made the momentous decision with a longtime friend to to have a child together. Mm -hmm. You've got the plan. And then it was another three years of figuring out how to conceive. Correct. And, you know, it also caused our relationship to grow. You know, we were trying to have a kid together and we wound up getting married and we really wanted a family together. So that went from being sort of, yeah, we're friends and I know you want this, Lucy, so okay, I'll help you out, to really both of us being a unit. Stephen and Lucy got married in October 2001, but at first they kept it all secret. Not because Stephen's gay, but because Lucy hadn't been able to get pregnant yet. She says she was already feeling enough pressure without adding a big public wedding party announcing that they were trying, and so far failing, to start a family. So for Stephen and Lucy, strict labels have never really fit. Stephen has always said, you know, yes, I'm gay, yes, I'm married, you know, whatever. Why, why marry? Why marriage? For a number of reasons. As I say, it would became an emotional journey for us, and we became much closer, a physical journey. We became closer physically. Um, and then it's also, you know, health insurance. Health insurance. So pragmatic. Maybe too pragmatic for something like marriage and family. But also really responsible. The kind of thing Lucy's parents could totally get behind. You know, I mean, my parents were very glad that me and Stephen were going to get married, you know, because of that, because there would be some legal and financial protections. And that really is somebody making a commitment. And, you know, it's not all loosey-goosey and everything's, you know, we'll all, we'll all work out okay. So they are clear-eyed about, and they were clear-eyed with us about, okay, this, what this, however you want to define your marriage, this is what, you know, it means you're being serious and this is for real. Again, she was raised Catholic and now goes to Episcopal Church every Sunday with her family, which has taken some explaining to her daughter. Are we Catholic? You know, and I was like, well, you know, Noni and Grandpa are Catholic and I grew up Catholic, but, you know, we go to an Episcopal Church. I want to be Catholic. Okay. And when you think about marriage, does it have a dimension of the sacred for you? It's really interesting. I uh, absolutely, for one. Uh, is the answer. I was really devastated when my first marriage broke up. And I absolutely was, you know, no, this is it. You, There were lots of problems in the marriage, but I didn't ever think that that meant we shouldn't be together. So um, I do have a very big uh, <laughs> emotional commitment to uh, the idea of marriage. And similarly with this, I absolutely would say that my current marriage there absolutely is a 
lifetime commitment to it, um, the, a deep love commitment to it, a sacred commitment to it. There's nothing more sacred, I think, than making a commitment to raising children together, you know, and and that's a that is a primal, deep human uh, activity. And the more we can surround it with um, sacred support, the better. It's almost sort of the the most conservative definition of marriage, which is to reproduce and procreate together. Yeah, it's that structure is there for a reason. And I feel like we should be able to take advantage of those structures and use them to create the lives we want to create. I never felt like it was something that sat on top of me and defined me. I always felt like we were using it for what we wanted to use it for. Are you a different sort of wife in this marriage than you were in your first marriage? Sure. Um, basically, the most important difference being that the first marriage started from a romantic place, and this did not. So if there's a certain more freedom, more, uh, you know, your identities don't mesh in the same way. Um, he can do what he does. I do what I do. Uh, we both have careers in the arts, which take us all over the place and we're both – we're a very good team about supporting each other um, with that. I don't mean to sound – make it sound cold but I think it's a great working unit. Um, that's how it feels. You mentioned that Stephen has said, you know, yes, I'm gay. Yes, I'm married. Yes to everything. In your life, do you have romance? I'm not going to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I just don't want to uh... – Kids, no matter how unorthodox the way you're raising them, they want mommy and daddy to uh, love each other and be a regular mommy and daddy. And they get to a certain age and that's just what they want. And, you know, the thing I've always been able to say is we do love each other more than anything else in the world. You know, there is a deep love there. And, you know, and it's a family unit there. And we're in the same house. And, you know, they haven't uh, had a great deal of having to navigate our other relationships, and I think that's easier for them. And intentional on your part. On my part, it is, yes. And that's all Lucy would really say about the mechanics of her marriage to Stephen. She's a little protective. There's the British tabloids who've written gossipy coverage about them from time to time. But it's also how Lucy thinks about her family. You can tell when you talk to her. It's all about being a parent. Wife is one thing. Mom is really the, the role. That's the main role, I would say, that I feel as an identity is keeping this, you know, family together. So Lucy Sexton married a friend to have a kid and raise a family together, not because of romantic love. It's unusual, but what's normal in American families is changing fast. In 2011, 41% of American kids were born to unmarried moms. More than a third of LGBT Americans are parents, according to the Williams Institute. And the average age for a woman to have her first child is steadily creeping upwards. For Lucy, becoming a mom in her early 40s meant years of difficulty conceiving, but also a lot less ambivalence about the trade-offs of motherhood. 
Like I have younger friends who are artists and then have kids and then it becomes a conflict of, you know, but I'm not doing my work as much and I'm not, am I considered an artist? I'm just a mom now. And I don't have any of that. When I wanted to be a mom, that was really what I wanted to do. So I didn't have any uh, existential conflict about it. But Lucy hasn't been doing it alone. Coming up, the other adults who are helping Lucy raise her kids. We heard from a lot of you about dealing with distance in your relationships, inspired by the Death, Sex, and Money interview with musicians Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires. There's three and a half million married couples out there doing it, a rate that's doubled since 1990. I talked about that on the public radio show The Takeaway, and you responded with your stories of long-distance relationships. We see each other in person about 50% of the year, wrote Karen Moeller from San Francisco. We've been together for 12-plus years now and just recently got married, but do not plan to change our jobs or living places anytime soon. Rebecca from New York called in. She commutes during the week to Chicago for the money. It is not easy, but my husband and my children have accommodated, and it's gotten us through a very difficult recessionary time. But for Marine in San Francisco, she got burned. We were both young and naive, and I believe that the time apart was to help us grow stronger. And he, well, he just found someone else to get closer to. For me, when you have to do it, I'm partial to watching movies together over Skype. If you have to be apart from a love and haven't tried it, trust me, it's a great date. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Lucy Sexton grew up in Brooklyn in a big Irish Catholic family. She was one of six kids. So for her, family meant noise and lots of people and siblings. As an adult, she's lived with other roommates in the same Manhattan loft with cheap rent for decades, even during her first marriage. She had years of practice splitting up bills at the kitchen table and getting help when she needed it. So as a mom, she knew she wanted other adults around. I think it's very, very hard to live in a nuclear family. It's very hard to have it be just mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad, but two people raising a family together and trying to keep a romantic relationship together and not having other uh, adults living in the house with you. I know it sounds crazy, but I really do think it's an awful lot to take on. She's kind of right, right? The other thing is she didn't want her daughter to be an only child. So the next decision, how to create siblings. I very much wanted, uh, and we both did, wanted another kid. Um, and I grew up in my big Irish Catholic family with a lot of kids, and I couldn't imagine having an only child. And it was not possible physically. Or we tried, and it, it had not been possible. So a friend, not a good friend, but someone I knew through a good friend, um, wound up, you know, she had had a child and she was basically a single mom and was sort of at loose ends of how is this going to work? I, you know, I want this baby, but oh, what am I going to do here? Um, and I said to her, why don't you move in? Because I live in a big loft. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, 
how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. With lots of other people, and there was space opening up in the loft, and I said, why don't you move in with the baby? We'll raise them together. Um, And at the beginning, I said, you know, we don't really know each other that well. If it doesn't work out, well, then we lived together when the kids were young. It's not so traumatic for them, you know. Uh, As it has turned out, it's turned out exactly how I had wanted, which is that we have raised the girls as sisters. Um, It has been a really good family extended family unit. Um, and yeah, the kids are a year apart. So I travel a lot of time with the my two daughters and I refer to them as my daughters, et cetera. And they talk to each other as sisters. Uh, they're both quite clear. There's mommy and other mommy for both of them. As your daughter's gotten older, as the, your daughters have gotten older, what's your conversation about family like? How do you How do you explain what family is? One interesting thing is that you you do have to be conscious and intentional about who you are telling them is family um, because, you know, we have lots of grown-ups who also have other relationships and then I also live in the loft with other roommates and in one sense, they're all part of an extended family and and have been and it's been incredibly valuable. Um, on the other hand, they need to know Who's never leaving? <laughs> Who are you going to live with the rest of your life no matter what? Um, and the two moms and the two dads are both very involved. But, you know, they also need to know that this unit, that their sister is not going away, that that we all have all made a commitment to uh, raising them within this structure as loose or, or different as it is. 
So um, it's great to have loving adults around, and those loving adults are incredibly important to them. Um, but it's also important that they are clear. Yeah. But I, I was divorced, and when I brought my next boyfriend home, my sister kept introducing him as uncle to my niece and nephew. And then it's been very confusing for the kids. Yeah. You know, it was an, initially an, an attempt to embrace him, but it was a little premature, I think. Right. I mean, I also went through a divorce, and I have nieces and nephews that, you know, had an uncle that then went away. But that's a reality. You know, it was their uncle. I was married to him. We did intend to be their uncle for the rest of their lives. So you can't protect them against that happening, but you do want to be conscious that, you know, the relationship gets to a certain point where you're hoping that it will last the rest of your life. It may not, but you can at least say that to the kids so that then when they make an investment, you know that you'll also try and protect that investment even if the relationship breaks up. So your oldest daughter is 10 now. Mm -hmm. Are there things that she says back to you that have sort of surprised you about the way that she's incorporated all of this? The only slight surprise was how much she um, – it's been a couple of years ago now, probably when she was eight or nine, but really started lobbying for – and still feels, you know, why isn't it more – why isn't it a normal family, um, considering that she has – not known that her school friends are not then very few of them are in what she's saying is a normal family but still that's there's still the lobby for that no matter what and what do you say oh i try and talk about you know the stability that's inherent in our situation um that you know for me i think it's in a way more stable <laughs> um because the primary piece of it is not a romantic situation she takes what she wants to take of it and holds on to what she wants to hold on to. And Yeah, but I still want this. Okay, you still want it. That's okay. You know, it's all right. <laughs> Who have been the people you've asked for advice? I don't know. Um, me and the other mom have done some counseling. Uh, I guess my, my, my sisters, really. Just because my first concern is always how to present this to the kids. Are you the most unconventional of your of your siblings in terms of the families that they've built? Um, probably the most unconventional, but still, there's you know, unmarried couple having two kids. Um, they didn't live together for a while, and you know, oh God, people have crazy lives. People have lives. My sister had a baby and a toddler when her husband died. So she was a single mom for a long time. And then she married somebody else who also had kids. So then they have the blended family thing. So we may not think of them as unconventional, but they're big things to navigate. And you just don't know how life is going to go. So you keep making it up as you go along. So in that sense, I don't feel like I'm that weird of my family. It feels like everybody's had to <laughs> make it up as they went along. Um, even though it's not perhaps as, from the outside, doesn't look as wacky as my mind looks. And it's a funny thing because, you know, um, and maybe it's just, you know, the way I was raised, but I have always felt in myself an utter conventionality in terms of, you know, 
yeah, I had a nice stable upbringing. I, you know, don't come from a dysfunctional household. I, you know, it's really important to me to have friends and family, and I've always invested in that. And my family has always gone with me on the ride of, I mean, my crazy story is always that I'm performing at the Pyramid nightclub in the East Village in various states of undress. And, you know, I'm in my early 20s and my dad stops by on the way home from work and stands in the back at the bar with his briefcase and watches the show. And that's very good and continues on. And, you know, not to say he's been comfortable with everything I do, but he's been supportive of it and sees like, OK, why is she doing it? And what, what were you trying to make a point about? And, you know, took it seriously. And so it never felt like a break from my parents to be doing what I was doing. Um, so for me, this is of a piece that then I would grow up and be a mom and that would be really important to me and that I wouldn't see it as something that I had to be in conflict with going out and performing, you know. So Lucy learned all the rules growing up Catholic in Brooklyn. As an artist, she toys with which rules to mock and break. It's helped her see what's convention for convention's sake and what actually nurtures the most precious things in life. How do you talk to your daughters about what love is? The big question that the kids ask is, you know, who do you love more? My mother gave the best answer. Um, how much love to give each kid? I think I had something like that kind of question. And she said, you know, it doesn't work that way. You don't uh, – it's not a pie that you cut up and give a certain amount of love. You give all your love to each of your children. Um, but – you know, each relationship is unique. So, yes, I have one relationship with my biological daughter. I have another relationship with my non-biological daughter. And they're both incredibly profound relationships. And they're particular to those children, too, because those children are different. And the way they are in the world is different. And the things they require are different. And the way they relate to me is different. And so, you know, there's a uniqueness that they should also take confidence from, you know, is that I'm, I'm being loved in a unique way because of who I am and how I fit in with, with my mom or my other mom. Those are things I try to reinforce so that they both feel seen, feel known, and feel loved. That's the whole job, right? That's the job of, of us as human beings in the world, and certainly it's the job of us as a parent, I would think. Make sure your kids feel known and seen and loved. That's Lucy Sexton. We spoke in Manhattan, just a few blocks from the loft where she's lived for 25 years. Her folks still live right across the river in Brooklyn. We have a classic performance of Lucy's dance noise duo at New York's Pyramid Club. It's posted on our website at deathsexmoney.org. And Lucy's not alone in figuring out ways to have children and raise a family. Fertility challenges, LGBT families in the law, multiple parents after divorce and remarriages. We're collecting your stories about all this on our website at deathsexmoney.org. Tell us how you've built family in your life, as parents, without kids, with your friends, and the surprising improvisations you've made along the way.
Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Emily Botine, James Ramsey, Henry Malofsky, Chris Bannon, Bill O'Neill, Jason Isaac, Pike Malinovsky, and Jim Briggs. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. Thanks also to Amy Pearl. We want to know what stories about death, sex, and money you want to hear. Tell us by writing us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. We're also on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. If you liked this episode, share it with all your friends on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes. In the next episode, Jane Fonda. I think that when a woman is older, sex is better, partly because she doesn't give a fuzzy rat's ass anymore. (laughs) You know, she's not out there in the marketplace anymore. She knows her body. She knows what she wants. She's less afraid to ask for it. If it doesn't work out, so what? I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.